Uncharted The Lost Legacy. It is the most recent and apparently final entry in the Uncharted series, at least for a good long while at this point, and it originally started as a major DLC expansion for Uncharted 4, though eventually it grew so big and large in scope and price that they decided to just release it as a standalone game, though admittedly they did release it for about 60% of what most AAA games release for, partially because it was originally pitched as a DLC for Uncharted 4 and partially because it's very short, running in around 8 to 9 hours for most players. Graphically, the game is very impressive, definitely a quality proof of concept for The Last of Us Part II, which would come just a few years later. The color work is phenomenal, the sound design is great, and the animation work is top notch. It really is hard to find things to criticize about it on a technical level, even now going on five years after this game's release. I, I don't know what it is. Recently, I've been going through these games from like the 2016-17 era. It feels like yesterday, but they're like six, five, six years old. It's blowing my mind. Like Breath of the Wild was five years ago. That's not okay. <laughs> Somebody do something. Stop it. The Lost Legacy also featured the largest map or open arena yet seen in a Naughty Dog game, which also was to prepare the team for the large open area in Seattle in the opening hours of The Last of Us Part Two. With this large open level, the game also started to experiment with level exploration, rewarding players for looking in every single nook and cranny with different collectibles, which is certainly a welcome change from the tight corridor design of Uncharted 4, though it's important to note that there are still no special weapons to be found or gear to be equipped. The gameplay is the same as Uncharted 4 with constant weapon swapping and ammo depletion, and there's not much reason to explore the levels and find collectibles other than doing it for its own sake. So if you're not the type of player to go and hunt down all of these little trinkets just so you can say you platinum the game, there's not much reason for you to do it. But the core of this game is comprised of its protagonists and its antagonist. The Lost Legacy does so little different from its predecessors that all it really has going for it to make it feel unique in the series is a pair of brand new main characters, namely Nadine and Chloe. Obviously, these two have been in the series before, Chloe being one of the fan-favorite characters from the original trilogy. Nadine, on the other hand, has a lot of baggage from Uncharted 4. Not only is she not likable or interesting in the least, but she presents numerous narrative problems as well. In Uncharted 4, she's effectively just a big, muscly woman who kicks the main character's ass repeatedly before bowing out of the story at the last minute. Now, this normally wouldn't even be an issue if the villain's sidekick happened to be really uninteresting and poorly developed. There's only so much time to spend on character development anyways. The problem is that Naughty Dog seems so insistent on making the player like her that it feels very contrived and desperate. With the release of Uncharted 4, Naughty Dog even seemed genuinely surprised that people criticized Nadine as an underdeveloped character. And so, in The Lost Legacy, it's good to see them attempt to correct this, spending a lot of time sharing stories between Nadine and Chloe back and forth about their childhoods and backgrounds. And we'll go into some of this in this video, but for now, let's just say I don't think they pull this off. Nadine's just not a good person. <laughs> like, 
whatever you want to say about Nathan Drake, ludonarrative dissonance aside, he is a mass murdering psychopath. I think we can all agree on that. But if we look at the cutscenes, which for most people is how you determine what's canon in these types of games and stories, Nadine is not that at all. Spoilers for the end of Uncharted 4 real quick, but Nadine at the very end of Uncharted 4 literally leaves Rafe, Sam, and Nate to die in the belly of this ship that's on fire and surrounded with explosives. She locks the door and leaves them with no means of escape as far as anybody can tell. In fact, the only way they can escape is when Nate takes an old cannon that thankfully is still loaded somehow and shoots a hole in the hull of the ship. Say what you will about Nathan Drake, I don't think he would ever leave three people to be engulfed in flames when he could have helped them escape or given them some second chance. It, it's just unfathomable that they do this with Nadine and then are like, why don't you like her as a character? <laughs> we tried really hard. I said, you really didn't, man. Like, I don't know what to tell you. She left these people to die, even though they really weren't a threat to her. <laughs> like, She's just not a good person. Now, Chloe, on the other hand, is as great as ever, even though I think they should have killed her off in Uncharted 2 since they set it up and signaled it all over that game. I'm still glad that she's here. She's witty and does a great job of carrying the narrative of the game on her shoulders. Though, I think it is important to note, I don't think she's as good a protagonist as Nathan Drake. But to be fair, it took four games for Nate to reach his full potential as a character. So, considering this is only our second exposure to Chloe in any meaningful sense, I still think it's very impressive that she plays so well on screen. All told, I just think Naughty Dog has run out of ideas when it comes to Uncharted. And I think over the course of The Lost Legacy, as we go through the whole game in this video, you'll start to see that it's just more of the same. At this point, there's not much more that can be done other than giving the franchise a break, waiting for technology to develop further, and then coming back to the franchise with a fresh set of eyes in a few years time. The Lost Legacy is not bad. It's just not great. And in a series that regularly hits it out of the park, that's actually a major failure. In effect, this is exactly the same as when you can point at a major AAA blockbuster movie that rakes in hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue at the box office, but is still considered a commercial flop because they expected it to do so much better compared to its peers in the AAA blockbuster space. It performed well, but it underperformed. It's possible that both of those are true at the same time. It's just a matter of perspective on who's evaluating what a good performance is or what it means to perform well and who's determining what it should have done given all of the factors involved. Lost Legacy isn't a bad game, but compared to the expectations of the Uncharted series, especially after Uncharted 4, it fell short of expectations and was, therefore, a failure. The game still has memorable moments, the most notable of which for me was when I climbed to the top of the central tower in the large open section, and once atop the precipice, if you stand still, Chloe will actually start to do yoga poses and the camera will slowly pan around her. It's a nice, calm moment in a game that's otherwise about nothing more than mindless shooting and arenas. And in my mind, the other notable element would be Chloe as a character and as a protagonist. I think she's really good. 
And I really do believe that she could grow to be just as beloved as Nathan Drake over the course of a few subsequent games that push the boundaries in different ways. But as of right now, I really believe that Naughty Dog needs to take some time to rethink how these games should work and what they can be. Because right now, it feels like they're just flat out of ideas. And of course, when they've settled on what the next generation of Uncharted will look like, we fans will still be here eager to engage with those games and give them a shot. It's just, I think, gonna need a little time. Now, I wanna go through the whole of The Lost Legacy to look at it and break it down piece by piece, just like we've done for the previous four games in the franchise to wrap this whole thing up. Problem is, the narrative isn't that interesting compared to the narratives in Uncharted 4, 3, 2, and even 1. It's certainly an afterthought. And in terms of overall content, this game is much closer to Uncharted 1 in size and scope than it is to any of the others. So it's a little weird. So instead of delving into all of the minutiae, which had comparatively little thought put into it compared to Uncharted 4, we're gonna keep a broader view of the game, go over it more generally, and discuss the broad strokes instead of the individual, uh, I guess, hair strokes, follicle strokes, whatever that would be. Broad strokes instead of the small whatever it would be. As always, thank you to all of these patrons for making these videos possible. You guys are amazing. Thank you. And if you want to enter to win a few upcoming AAA games over the course of this year, uh, just head over to our Discord. Links in the description box below in my link tree. Follow all my social media and everything. Um, all you have to do to enter the giveaways is be a member of the Discord. But if you follow the other social media, I would greatly appreciate it. So that's it. Buckle up. Here we go. The Lost Legacy. So the game effectively has four main acts. The prologue, what I'm deeming the exploration section, the next chunk, which I will call the big puzzle and elephant, and the finale. In terms of settings, we effectively have three. We have the prologue setting inside this city. We have the jungle and rainforesty areas in the middle two acts. And in the finale, we will spend most of our time following a train around a bunch of tracks and fighting it out in a rail yard. Compare this, of course, to the scope of previous games in the franchise, and it will seem markedly reduced, but I don't want to dwell on all of these little nitpicky details because I just don't think it's fair to criticize The Lost Legacy heavily for being smaller in scope than its older brother, especially because Naughty Dog came out charging less for this game than Uncharted 4. So to come out and be like, see, they went to Madagascar and Scotland and then they went to the Caribbean and they did all this stuff. I just think that's a stupid criticism to levy. So I'm not going to do it. I just want to make it clear. We're talking about a game that is much smaller in scope. So don't get your hopes up expecting something significantly uh, larger on the scale of Uncharted 2 or 3 or even 4. The first thing you'll probably notice when playing The Lost Legacy is that they introduce you to Chloe right away and you're exposed to a lot more color and contrast compared to the previous games. Uncharted 4 was certainly not an ugly game, but in terms of art direction it felt fairly bland. But in The Lost Legacy they really flexed their artistic muscles here. This opening section is mostly meant to introduce the player to the political frustrations and conflicts going on within India and the city more generally. There are a bunch of insurgents around the city and Indian military soldiers that are trying to keep everything under control. 
We don't get to find out much right now, but this little girl shares a good amount of information for us to set up the story. We also don't know what Chloe's trying to do at this point. Again, it's kept very, very vague. And instead, we just have to roll with the motions and go where the game wants us to go until we find out why we're doing any of this. So we hop in a truck and go across the river to end up in what seems to be the war-torn section of the city. We're then shown a picture of a red door at the end of an alleyway, which tells us where we need to go. Though it's important to note that these levels in the opening section of the game are extremely narrow and linear, so there's not actually going to be any question of where you're supposed to go. As you walk through the alleyways, you see some of these insurgents breaking into people's houses, holding them at gunpoint, beating and shooting people who resist, and it really sets the stage. There's a significant sense of fear and anxiety within the heart of this portion of the city. You make your way through a couple of guard checkpoints, learn how to stealth take down some enemies, and to crouch behind cover. Eventually you come up on the red door and are introduced to the lock picking mechanic, which is extremely basic and very, very forgiving, but it's not a big deal. You work your way to the top of the building, and when you open the door at the very top of the stairwell, you push your way through some of the clothes hung on the clothesline in front of you. And when you come out to see the city landscape before you, it's all on fire. There's also this really cool shot with a fire jet coming through and dropping some bombs on the city below. It's very bright, very vivid, almost beautiful if it weren't signifying many people's deaths. This is one of my frustrations, though, early in the game. There's really no context given that's significant about the conflict within the city and country of India here. We just know that there are insurgents trying to overthrow the government, and that seems to be what's going on here. I recognize that many people won't care about this, and they'll just accept that they're fighting a bunch of unnamed faceless soldiers out in the world. It doesn't matter why they're fighting them or what their motivations are, but I personally really appreciate when I understand the motivations of the villains and the people that I'm fighting against. But back to the rooftop. A few soldiers show up and start attacking Chloe. You fight your way for a little bit, but you seem to be out of your league, which is precisely when Nadine shows up. If you went into this game cold without having seen any of the media or press or even the game cover, this would be a total surprise. Chloe and Nadine working together is one of the more strange collaborations that I've seen in recent memory, but you know what? If it works, it works. After the pair takes down these soldiers, they start to catch up on where they're at in their mission. Nadine starts talking about a man named Asav. It says that it took her weeks to track him down and that he's very unpredictable. Chloe throws in some dialogue about him being just another warmonger with no war to fight, meaning that he's just like a trapped bulldog that wants to piss somebody off, so he has some reason to fight. But that already seems to be admitting that he doesn't have any genuine motivations or interesting backing to anything he's doing. And spoiler alert, Asav is going to be just that, a bland, uninteresting villain with no genuine motivations to any of his actions other than the bland, I'm evil because I want to be powerful and my evil behavior causes me to gain power and that's about it. And it's unfortunate because in a lot of these smaller games or spin-off titles, you can usually justify going a little bit crazier with the writing or trying out some really unique and novel things. But in The Lost Legacy, they played it more safe than I think they probably have played it since Uncharted 1 came out. At least in that game, they had Nazis. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, granted, they were Nazi zombies, but still. The other thing that's established in this initial conversation between Chloe and Nadine is their different temperaments. Nadine is incredibly serious and very difficult to work with. Chloe is perhaps overly relaxed and very akin in her approach to Nathan Drake. And here, two things are also established. Most players are probably going to like hearing Chloe talk and interact with this world much more than they will enjoy hearing Nadine talk about it and navigate it because she's sort of the Debbie Downer of the group. But secondly, it also establishes her character arc. Nadine, over the course of this story, is going to slowly loosen up and learn to be a little bit more carefree in how she approaches these things. Sure, it's predictable, but I don't think it's actually a bad thing to have a plot point that's predictable as long as it makes sense for the characters. It's when you have a predictable plot point that has no basis in the character's motivations and doesn't make any damn sense at all that we have a problem. But the two establish where they need to go next. Specifically, they need to get to Asav's main office because they need something out of there. Chloe spots the office with a pair of binoculars and the crew knows where they need to go next. So you start navigating over the rooftops, eventually landing on this rooftop, which has a crate that you can push to allow Nadine to climb up a nearby ledge. So you pull the crate out and drop it down below, but it actually crashes through the ceiling of this building and nearly kills Nadine in the process. Chloe gives a little oopsie daisy and Nadine replies, oh, Sorry about that. How about we avoid crates from now on? Okay, good deal. And sure enough, for the rest of the Lost Legacy, we're not going to be using crates really at all. It's something that was used a ton in Uncharted 4, but I think they received enough pushback or criticisms because it felt really overdone in that game. But this time around, they're self-aware, Naughty Dog's like, yeah, we get it, the crates kind of suck and it's a little stupid, so don't worry about it, no more crates. And sure enough, they stick to it. Ever persistent, the crew pushes on, eventually climbing all the way up the side of the building to Asav's office, which is filled with all sorts of antiquities. There's pots, paintings, statues, mosaics, everything you could possibly imagine related to Indian culture and heritage. Most notable to these two, however, is a lockbox. Once you pick the lock and break into it, you find a small circular device. But before they have time to figure out what it is, some armed men break in and Chloe slips the disc into her back pocket right as Asav enters. Now I'm going to let this section play off because I'm going to talk about it and I want you to evaluate it just as critically as I am because I think I'm picking up on some stuff but I don't want to overly read into it. So instead I'll just let it play, let you form your own opinion, and then I'll offer my thoughts on the back end. Here it is. Oh. Time to go. Nadine Ross. What a pleasant surprise. Ah, ah, careful, brothers. This tiger's got claws. A soft. Oh, all these years. And you haven't aged a day. You're too kind. <laughs> Are you looking for work? I hear that Shoreline's under new management. 
temporary setback. Nothing I can't handle. Of course, of course. Pity though. My men and I could use someone of your caliber. Why are you here? I mean, this... This isn't your area of expertise. It, it is a nice collection, I must say. Chloe Fraser, collector of antiquities. A thief? You're working for a thief. Sir, we have a situation. <gasps> what? I'll be right there. The disc. Oh, right. About that. At first, I mistook you for just an average rebel. But you have managed to find the Hoysala Empire. That's not bad. Their greatest treasure, the Tusk of Ganesh. Now that's not an easy find. What are you doing? Three Persian invasions, three separate wars, and all these years later, no one has found it. We're close. You're lost. And the only chance you have of even narrowing down its location is to find someone who can help you crack this artifact. Someone with an extensive knowledge of Hoysala society. Exactly. An expert in their culture and history. My rates are reasonable. A parasite who exploits our struggle in order to fatten her pockets. Hmm. So that's a no? Felt like a no. <laughs> You've got balls. I like that. But I don't need any more so-called experts. Shoot them. Throw their bodies in the river. Now, clearly, there's some relationship between Nadine and Asav that's not discussed further. There's some history here. Some Uncharted fans seem to think that Nadine and Asav had some sort of romantic relationship previously that ended badly and caused a lot of tension. Others think that Asav previously hired Shoreline, and that's how he got to know Nadine, back when she was running it and leading it in its heyday, before it basically collapsed at the end of Uncharted 4. You know, because Nathan Drake killed everyone. The reason I wanted to play that for you is because I feel like there's some sort of strange sexual tension going on here, but I can't tell if that's just me reading it into the situation or if it's actually there. So let me know in the comment section, maybe hashtag tension or something so I know that you are referring to this, but let me know in the comment section what you think of this situation, if you think there's something more there or if I'm just reading too much into it because I think it will color the rest of their interactions for the rest of the game if we know the answer to that question. Regardless, right after Asav orders their death, Chloe kicks over a table with a lamp and starts a fire, which allows them just enough cover to break out the window on the back end and bust out onto the roofs below. What follows is a pretty elaborate chase sequence through the rooftops down to the river below. Before they reach the bottom, though, the two pause and have a brief conversation. Nadine's pissed off because she feels like Chloe was about to sell her out to Asav to get her offer back to save the 50% cut that she owes 
Nadine. 50% cut of what exactly we're not sure at this point, but presumably it would be worth a fair sum. It's also here that Nadine reminds everybody of what she did at the end of the last game. She says that the last man who betrayed her and double-crossed her ended up dead, which is true because she's referring to Rafe. He did end up dead. But part of the reason he ended up dead is because she locked him in the hole with a murderous psychopath in the form of Nathan Drake, leaving him to die. I get it. Rafe was a bad guy. Bad guys often die in these types of stories. Whatever. But it doesn't change the fact that what Nadine did was objectively awful. Setting all of that aside, the two race down and eventually get into the river below. Apparently, Chloe has hired a boat to pick them up once they get to the water beneath, kind of expecting that this type of thing would happen. And sure enough, once you end up in the water, we cut to black and come back in with the two on a small skip that's going down the river. Now, this offers us a brief moment of respite from the rest of the combat and violence that surrounds this story. It's just Chloe and Nadine talking in the back of this boat. A bunch of exposition is given here, namely that we are trying to find the Tusk of Ganesh, which is an ancient artifact which presumably holds a lot of power over the Indian people as a monolith and as an item of significant historical and cultural value, but also it probably is worth a good amount of money if it could be verified as the actual Tusk of Ganesh. We also find out that Asav is after this same tusk. Why? It's not exactly clear, but the answer isn't that satisfying even when we do get it. You see, Asav is the leader of one of the insurgency groups. He's the guy that's trying to overthrow the Indian government and take control of all of India. He feels entitled to it based on his lineage, and he feels as though it's his destiny. However, his fights with the Indian government haven't been going well at all. They're effectively at a standstill, but he's slowly losing power as he loses his men and his funds and resources are depleted. So he's desperate for another option. In this case, he's trying to find the Tusk of Ganesh because he feels like it could actually be used to harness power over the Indian people, recruiting more to actually fight his battle with him and motivating them to fight even harder because with the Tusk of Ganesh, he would effectively be proven to the Indian people as the true heir of power, the one that should be in control of the country. Now, once again, this is just another example of a bad guy being a bad guy for bad guy's sake. There's nothing that interesting about his motivations or what he's trying to do. It's just that he feels he should be powerful. He feels like he's entitled to it. And so he's going to do evil stuff to make it come out his way. It's just not interesting. I'm sure it doesn't have to be said, but the most interesting and captivating villains are the ones that you strangely find yourself agreeing with, even in a dark, twisted sort of way. You can agree and sympathize with their diagnosis of the problem, but you disagree with the prescription. In the case of Asav, there is no agreeing on the diagnosis or the prescription. He's just a bad guy who's crazy and is bad because he's bad. But there's a whole other element to his plan to overthrow the Indian government and take control for himself. But we're going to get there in a little bit. For now, just know that we're all trying to find the Tusk of Ganesh and Chloe's trying to find it first. In addition, Chloe and Nadine talk a little bit about their backgrounds. During these opening sections, we find out that Nadine has separated from Shoreline at least temporarily. 
Shoreline is still operational somewhat, but it's currently under the control of her former lieutenant, somebody that goes by the name Orca. It seems as though the humiliation that the company suffered at the end of Uncharted 4 was just too much for Nadine to retain control over the group, so she was welcomed to leave. We also find out a little bit about Chloe's father, specifically that he's the one that started this search for Ganesh's tusk, and that most of his research is being used by Chloe to find it. It seems that he passed away a while back, but Chloe refuses to discuss this much further. But that's about it for now. We then reach chapter three, and it's here that we begin what I would consider to be the second act of the game, which is the broad exploration portion. There will be a lot of free climbing, a lot of driving this Jeep around, and clearing small enemy encampments that are filled with shoreline mercenaries and Asav's henchmen. This portion of the game was talked up a lot in the marketing for it and in the development. This portion of the game was talked up a lot in the lead up to the release. Basically, it is the largest single level in any Naughty Dog game ever created, though I do believe this record was broken with the large open area in Seattle in The Last of Us Part 2, though as far as I could find, Naughty Dog has neither confirmed nor denied this, but having played both of them recently, I think Seattle is actually a little bigger. And in terms of game design, it's actually pretty straightforward. In this large open area that's surrounding a central pillar tower, you have to go to each of these marked locations, clearing them, which effectively partially clears the way for you to continue. It's only once you've cleared all of these encampments that you can fully unlock the door to allow you to progress. And I will say, after playing through this portion of the game three times for this video alone in the last month or two, it's really proved to me that an open world Uncharted game isn't what we were all hoping it would be. You see, there's a reason that Uncharted games have been very, very linear in the past, with tight corridors, large set pieces, and carefully scripted moments. It's because these games at their core are basically interactive action movies. They aren't about open world exploration, they aren't about careful open world design, or extreme amounts of interactability within the worlds that are crafted. And furthermore, it's a question of expertise. Naughty Dog is really good at those cinematic scripted linear moments. They're not very good at open world design. And that's okay. What Rockstar is phenomenal at doing is what Naughty Dog is weak at doing. And what Naughty Dog is phenomenal at doing is what Rockstar is weak at doing. Though, to be fair, Rockstar seems to be good at pretty much everything at this point except for remasters, so <laughs> it's perhaps not the best example. It's like I mentioned during the intro of the video. Naughty Dog just isn't great at encouraging players to explore the levels, especially in Uncharted games. There's no reason to look in every nook and cranny unless you are a collectible hunter, and even then most people will find this boring. Crafting worlds that you want to explore simply for sake of exploring them is incredibly difficult. It's why a game like Breath of the Wild is so amazing, because it is so difficult to pull that off. I admire Naughty Dog trying, but it just doesn't stick the landing here. This whole section just felt like a poorly put together, gigantic shooting arena instead of an interesting portion of this Indian wilderness for me to explore. Chloe and Nadine tried to banter back and forth to keep it lively and interesting, with some exposition being revealed as they go, but it's not enough to save it in my mind. 
Furthermore, most of the dialogue between Nadine and Chloe is related to their daddy issues. And I don't mean to dismiss them as characters, but I'm not joking. It's Nadine discussing how Shoreline was her father's company and how she sort of resents him for leaving this in her lap, even though it's all she's ever known and all she's ever really cared about. And Chloe never really got over the death of her father and is searching for this treasure, both because she wants to keep it out of Asav's hands, but also because she wants to see her father's task through to the end. I know it's purely subjective, but I just don't find this particularly interesting. Even the plot line in Uncharted 4 relating to Nathan and Sam's mother wasn't particularly interesting, and Naughty Dog didn't pretend as though it was. It effectively served just as a quick passing explanation for why Sam and Nate had to go on the run originally from the orphanage and everything that they had been doing up to that point. They didn't try to explain away the actions of Nate and Sam through Uncharted 4 with that myopic explanation and motivation. I mean, seriously, imagine if they were searching for Avery's treasure just because their mother at one point dreamed of finding it. It just would be a lame reason to go through all of this trouble and to massacre all of these people, instead giving them the motivation of trying to save Sam from this recently deceased drug lord that actually works. It's urgent, it's immediate, and it's with somebody who's alive and present that you're interacting with. So it feels much more real as a motivation than something that's based in a character that we've never met and never will. The other major issue with this section of the game is that it relies once again on the large shooting arenas that I've criticized for pretty much the entirety of the time that I've been critiquing these Uncharted games. Naughty Dog's approach to weapon variety in Uncharted is to give you these disposable weapons that run out of ammo quickly that force you to swap to a different weapon that a different enemy had been carrying. And it sucks. I get it, it's meant to encourage dynamic gameplay, you're constantly swapping weapons so it keeps things interesting in theory, but it just doesn't work for me. Especially when you're trying to implement these big open levels and encourage exploration within them, having set weapons like in The Last of Us Part Two or the original Last of Us game would be so much better because you could explore the nooks and crannies of these levels to try and find crafting materials to improve these weapons or different weapons entirely that could add a new flair to your approach to each of these combat encounters, such as discovering a sniper rifle or a grenade launcher that has very rare ammo, but that you can save for select encounters that are particularly difficult. I get it, not every single game needs to be The Last of Us or needs to be an action RPG, but there are certain mechanisms and mechanics that just work better than others. And in this case, the approach Uncharted takes screams 2006 in my mind. It's just bad and feels outdated. There's no other way I can put it. And I could rant about it for an hour, but I think I've proven my point, especially if you've watched all of my critiques on the Uncharted series up to this point, in which case you'll be sick and tired of hearing me complain about this. But far and away my favorite moment in the entirety of The Lost Legacy is this moment right here. You can climb up this central pillar at the middle of this open world area. You have to go to this broken door, climb up it at just the right angle, and then climb around this chipped out portion of it. But once you do so, you can actually climb onto the very tippy top of the tower, and when you stand here, the camera will start to pan around Chloe. It's pretty cool. Chloe will even throw out a line of dialogue saying that she could stay here all day. 
So I decided to take her up on that, just taking in the view. And I discovered that if you actually just sit here and do nothing for about a minute, Chloe will actually start to do yoga poses. She sets her gun and everything else down next to her and starts to do these poses as the camera pans out and slowly circles her. It's beautiful, it's peaceful, it's calming, this is far and away the most memorable moment in the entirety of The Lost Legacy for me. I loved this. It just goes to show you, sometimes the best thing to do is to give players a break and just allow them to take in the art and the scenery that you've presented. You don't need to fill every nook and cranny of the game with violence and combat. You can take a breather and it's okay. And often those breathers will be more memorable and enjoyable for the player than the non-stop adrenaline rush of gunfire. But when we finally have had enough, we move on. After you've cleared all of the encampments in this area and collected whatever collectibles you want to find, you can move on. And it's here that we enter the third act of the game, which I refer to as the big puzzle and the elephants. This is because the only two things that are really memorable or interesting in this entire act of the game that spans multiple hours is a big puzzle and a bunch of elephants. There are some other events that take place, such as Asav getting the jump on Chloe and Nadine in this area. It leads to a brief fist fight. I mean, I, I get it. He is a mercenary, so it makes sense he's good at fighting, but he just wipes the floor with Nadine and Chloe. Like, it's not even close. And again, normally I wouldn't have an issue with one boss or character beating up another character, but in the last game, Uncharted 4, it was established that Nadine could take Sam and Nathan Drake on by herself single-handedly and kick their asses. Nathan and Sam Drake are very fit and very, very experienced in combat. The idea that she could wipe the floor with them so easily was kind of ridiculous. And in this game, we have Chloe and Nadine once again fighting Asav, and he wipes the floor with them. It just goes to show that Naughty Dog isn't actually too concerned with what makes sense in terms of combat in these cutscenes. They're more concerned with what serves the narrative purpose for that given moment. In Uncharted 4, they needed Nadine to kick Sam and Nate's ass so that she would be justified as a worthy companion to Rafe and somebody that deserved attention in the grander scheme of the story. And in this case, they have to show that Asav is an actual threat and on a more metaphorical level that Nadine and Chloe are outmatched. But there's two main set pieces in this act of the game. The first is with an elephant. You find one trapped underneath some rubble. Apparently the explosions that Asav is setting off caused some part of this ancient structure to collapse on the elephant. It's not really clear, but what is clear is the elephant is stuck. So Nadine and Chloe push it off and free the little guy. You then get to ride on the elephant as Nadine very excitedly spits off a bunch of animal facts as you ride through this calm, solemn section. It is one of the more humanizing moments for Nadine. She seems to be a little bit of an animal nut and it's cute to see. Plus, I mean, what other game have you played where you can ride on an elephant with your friend? Like, what has that ever happened? <laughs> 
but the entire moment is almost completely spoiled by yet more discussion of parental issues. Again, I get it. There's actual trauma here. Chloe is very sad that her father was mauled by bandits who raided his camp. I get it. It makes sense. But it doesn't change the fact that we haven't met Chloe's father. We don't know who or what he was. And on the most basic level, there's no reason to be emotionally torn apart by this. We can empathize and feel bad for her that her father died. But in terms of motivating the player, it really doesn't do much. If we were given a couple of cutscenes or flashback sequences where we got to meet her father and see them interact, that could have done loads to make this work far, far better. But instead, we just have to imagine it, and that's just not very effective in terms of implementing this character into the story. Instead, it just feels like a construct that's been placed here to lazily justify Chloe's actions, which is, in fact, all that is going on here. But enough complaining about daddy issues. You reunite the elephant with the rest of his family, take some pictures, and move on to yet more shooting arenas, eventually ending up in a large area that's filled with the big puzzle. Once again, something I've brought up with every single one of these Uncharted games at this point, there is a large set piece that's hidden underground but is exposed to the elements and the open air, which begs the question why it hasn't been found up to this point. In this case, it's a gigantic gilded statue which is opened up to the forest above. Now, in this case, we are in the middle of a dense jungle, and this comparatively is a pretty small opening in an otherwise very dense jungle, so I can actually justify this one why it wouldn't have been found in all this time, because effectively you would have to be directly overhead in a helicopter or something to be able to spot this. But again, I just have to mention that Naughty Dog does this all the time, where they have a big gold gilded whatever, open to the elements, easily visible from above, and then they're like, well, it's amazing nobody's found this yet. Yeah, you're damn right it is. Admittedly, this is a far less egregious example than in Uncharted 4, for instance, when Libertalia has been searched for centuries and centuries, and it turns out it's completely open to the air with huge buildings and mansions visible for all to see from the air above. It, it just doesn't make any sense how that possibly went undiscovered for any period of time once air travel was invented. Anyways, we set the arms of this statue at very specific angles. Doesn't require any brain power whatsoever. You're just turning dials and jumping from platform to platform within a set amount of time. It's not particularly engaging, but hey, it, it works. Once all of the beams of light are aligned properly, the puzzle is solved, but just in time for Asav to show up with a bunch of armed men. There's then a large shootout, but inevitably Chloe and Nadine end up at the very bottom underneath the statue. Asav captures them, puts them in handcuffs, and introduces them to their friend, Sam. Yeah, that's right, Sam Drake. Turns out he's been working with Asav all this time, but as a double agent. Chloe helped him get a job with Asav as his historical expert, who Asav has been referencing through the entire game up to this point. Asav thought that Sam was going to help him discover the Tusk of Ganesh first, but in reality, he was actively sabotaging their efforts. In effect, he was a mole working for Chloe and Nadine the whole time. He would send Asav on wild goose chases, so he would waste time, money, and resources on frivolous pursuits, giving Chloe and Nadine more time to discover the treasure for themselves. 
Though it's probably fair to say that Chloe didn't tell Sam that she was working with Nadine or vice versa. But I'll be honest, when I first played through this game and even today, I can't come up with any other reason that they would have brought Sam into this story other than that they felt that Chloe and Nadine weren't doing a good enough job to carry it through to the end. If they just wanted to introduce another character, why not just introduce another character? Sam really doesn't serve a narrative purpose in this game, he doesn't have a significant role whatsoever, and in large part he mostly just acts as comic relief, giving mindless banter back and forth to give a couple chuckles as you go through the ending act of the game. I'm sure Naughty Dog would say that they just wanted to bring Sam into the story because he's a loved character from the previous game, but it feels overtly contrived in my mind. The fact that Chloe and Nadine happen to meet up and work together is already a little bit of a stretch for me, but then to suggest that they also got Sam Drake involved is just another straw, perhaps just a little bit too far for me. But regardless, he's here. Asav takes the group through to the next chamber, which presumably holds the Tusk of Ganesh. And over the course of about five minutes, you'll solve a quick puzzle where you rotate some circles into a bigger circle, which ends up being a disc with a picture on it, which then you can use to arrange the statue in the right way so that you don't get decapitated by this axe. Then a little holder pops up and reveals the Tusk of Ganesh. Asav takes it and leaves these three handcuffed to this post to drown and die. They set off a bunch of explosive devices, but Chloe brought a lockpick, of course, because she's been lockpicking this whole game, and starts to get Nadine and Sam free from their shackles. Just in the nick of time, she's able to get the handcuffs off of everybody, and they swim to the surface, narrowly surviving. And I have to ask if I'm alone in doing this, whenever I'm playing like a game or there's a movie where the characters are underwater for an extended period of time, I try holding my breath for the same amount of time to see if it's possible. I will say, when this happened, I tried holding my breath for as long as Chloe did. I managed to, I, I survived, but bear in mind I was sitting with a controller in my lap, so it wasn't quite the same as actively swimming and trying to pick a lock with the impending threat of death. So it's not quite the same. But if you did this too, if, if you're one of those people that holds their breath during movies and games when characters are underwater, let me know so I know that I'm not totally insane. Okay? I appreciate it. <laughs> Once at the surface, the group realizes that Asav is off for some sort of weapons deal, presumably to sell the tusk, though this isn't known for certain. Sam just says he overheard Asav talking about some deal at the train yard. So the group realizes they need to get to the train yard. Sam and Nadine share a little bit of dialogue as well. It appears Nadine is really pissed at Sam for some reason. Sam is thanking her for saving his life and being very courteous, but Nadine is not having any of it. Bear in mind, Nadine's the one that left him for freaking dead. Like, I, she's the bad one in this situation. She should be apologizing to him, asking his forgiveness. But no, it's like, no, Nadine's right. She's she's very upset with, with Sam. It doesn't make any sense at all, but she's very upset. But now we head into the finale of the game. We have our full trio, and the group heads towards the train depot. 
There's a lot of light puzzling and yet more shooting arenas, but the finale of this level is with this helicopter that you have to shoot down. For some reason, it hovers just within reach of your grappling hook instead of high up or far away from the gunfire and RPG shells that are coming in. But you know what, beggars can't be choosers. And in the back of the helicopter is actually Orca, the lieutenant that took over Shoreline from Nadine. Turns out Asav left the tusk of Ganesh with this guy. So you take the helicopter down and Orca is left sitting outside of the helicopter, bleeding and dying, but still holding the tusk. He gives the standard bad guy speech where he explains in detail everything that's going on for no apparent reason. He and his shoreline crew brought a big old bomb to trade for the Tusk of Ganesh, which presumably would be very valuable if sold to the right collector or governmental agency. It seems that Asav traded the Tusk, which would have held political power over the people, for a large bomb which holds, well, more direct power over the people. You see, it seems as though Asav wants to blow up a big portion of the city nearby because he thinks that will motivate a bunch of people in the city to join his forces in overthrowing the Indian government. In other words, he wants to set up a false flag operation, similar to what Hitler did in Poland in 1939. It sets off the bomb in the market of the city, kills thousands of civilians, but can blame that bomb on the government and say that if the people of the city want to prevent this from happening again, they should join his forces and fight the government which caused this to happen. Even though, you know, it was him all along, but they don't know that. What commences is basically a reskinned version of the sequence from Uncharted 4 in Madagascar, specifically the section when you're running away from the tank and trying to get to Sam as he's chased by hordes of enemies. And it's also mashed up with the train sequence from Uncharted 2. It sort of is a victory lap of Naughty Dog Uncharted game design. All of these big set pieces and impressive technical accomplishments are put forward here, and it's done just as well as it was before, and that is to say very, very well. And I wish there was more that I could say about it, but it really doesn't do anything notable or interesting in comparison to the previous games. It's just more of the same. Again, the tale of the tape when it comes to the Lost Legacy. Chloe and Sam do stop off to try and divert the train onto a different set of tracks that will lead it away from the city. And they succeed in this, but it diverts the train towards a bridge that's partially collapsed, meaning that the train is just going to go straight off the edge. Even so, the crew continues to push up towards the front of the train to try and get to the bomb. Once there, they meet Asav and have a fist fight which ends markedly different than their last one. Asav gets the ever-living crap beaten out of him and eventually they kick him so hard that he backs into the bomb, it falls off the stand that it was resting on and falls on his leg, trapping him in the train car with the bomb that's about to go off a giant cliff. So then you run trying to escape the train as it slips off the tracks into the river below, narrowly escaping and grabbing a beam with your grapple hook. As Chloe and Nadine hang with Sam catching up from the train track behind them, the bomb that Asav bought goes off, incinerating him and causing many fireworks for all to see. Though I hate to be this guy, this bomb isn't that big. They said this thing would kill thousands, and I get it was underwater partially when it went off, but this really isn't that big of a bomb. I've watched Mythbusters when they blew up that cement truck. 
I've seen what a real bomb can do when properly implemented, and this thing surely was more powerful than that cement truck bomb in Mythbusters. So I, I just don't buy that they would be able to be this close and be totally fine if that bomb presented any significant threat to any number of people. It's just really underwhelming. I don't know how else to put it. This this explosion is just underwhelming. Regardless, the crew then sits on the train tracks overlooking the city, confident they've just saved the day, and they're left with the Tusk of Ganesh, so they got everything they possibly could wish for. It is a nice change of pace from the previous games, when Nathan Drake never seemed to get any amount of treasure out of any of his escapades, even though he was successful in tracking it down. And then the credits roll, and that's the game. There is a brief post-credit scene where we see Chloe, Nadine, Sam, and the little girl from the very beginning of the game eating pizza. This is a reference to the very beginning of the game when Chloe said that if this little girl helped her get into that truck to cross the river, she would give her pizza when she returned. And so it's a good touch. Tell you what, when I get back, pizza's on me. Deal? Deal. And then we go to black and the game is over. And that's The Lost Legacy. There really isn't that much to say about it, although this video is very long at this point, I grant you. It's just more of the same. I think it tried to do a few things interestingly by putting these characters together we never expected to see together, like Chloe and Nadine, Sam and Nadine, Sam and Chloe. And in that pursuit, it's relatively interesting, but it doesn't change the fact that I think Nadine is painfully uninteresting as a character writ large. It's not because she's a woman. It's not because she was introduced in Uncharted 4 in a rushed way. I think it's mostly because she's a mercenary and mercenaries tend to just not be very interesting as characters. It's as simple as that. And over the course of this game, she eventually gives up all care for Shoreline. At the very end of the game, she even says that she's walking away from it entirely, which shows at least some character arc has taken place. And so I'm confident in a future game, if they gave her another shot, now that she's just a treasure hunter, she could actually end up being fairly interesting and she could be somebody who loosens up and is a little more fun to engage with. But at the start of the game and for the majority of Uncharted The Lost Legacy, she's very stiff and doesn't engage in any sort of fun or playful way like Nate did, like Sam does, like Sully does, or Elena does. She's just stiff. And in comparison to Chloe, who is very loose and similar in approach to Nathan, which is why they work so well together in Uncharted 2, it just comes off even worse because you're constantly reminded at how stiff Nadine is. And Sam is, well, Sam. He's fine. I think there's nothing wrong with him, but his presence in this game just feels very contrived and like it was put together to help carry the game across the finish line. And I actually have a theory for why Naughty Dog is constantly putting uh, Troy Baker's characters into games, even when they don't seem like they are particularly appropriate or that they naturally come out of the story. And I really think it's just because they love his performance. Specifically, Neil Druckmann loves Troy Baker as a performer, and I don't blame him. Even though Troy Baker, as far as NFTs are concerned, seems to be a few lettuces short of an allotment, for lack of a better term, he does perform very, very well. He did very well in Uncharted 4 and, of course, The Last of Us Part 2. 
But what seems to be the case is that Naughty Dog likes Troy Baker so much that they effectively want to keep him on the payroll so that he doesn't go off and do other projects when they need him. So they just keep him involved in everything they do. So he's constantly at the studio available for reshoots, re-recordings, whatever else they might need to do, which is why they put him in Uncharted 4, because then he's present. And as they're working on The Last of Us Part 2, early production stuff, he can be involved in present there. Whereas if they did The Last of Us in 2013, didn't bring him in for Uncharted 4 and then brought him in for The Last of Us Part 2, we're talking easily five, six, seven years between the time that he would be working with the studio from one project to the other. And I just don't think they want to do that. So they sort of force Troy Baker into these roles, even when that role doesn't make a lot of sense in the story. Sam, as a character in Uncharted 4, was contrived, seemingly to give Troy Baker a character to play in the game because they wanted Troy Baker in the game. Everything about his character doesn't make sense in the context of Uncharted because he's never mentioned in the first three games. In fact, there's lots of evidence that there was no brother ever planned in the franchise prior to Uncharted 4 because characters such as uh, Marlowe who have a vested interest in bringing this information up, especially in that scene where she's revealing all of the information about Nate's life and his mother and everything. She never mentions a brother, even though she definitely would know about that if he existed at that time in the creation of the games. So he was created just for Uncharted 4 to give Troy Baker a role to play so he could stay on the payroll as far as I'm concerned. I get it. It makes sense as far as a business is concerned, but it doesn't change the fact that these roles just feel contrived in comparison. He's fine in The Lost Legacy. He's Sam Drake again. There's nothing wrong with Sam inherently, but it does feel contrived. It feels like they just wanted to get Troy Baker in another game so he could get a quick paycheck in between Uncharted 4 and The Last of Us Part Two, so that they could keep him happy at the studio and involved. And for the record, it's not just Troy Baker that Naughty Dog seems to do this with. They also seem to have done it with Laura Bailey because she's a great performer and they want to keep her very close to the studio and actively involved in all of their projects as well because they brought her in to play Nadine and, of course, Abby in The Last of Us Part Two. And there was a whole scandal, of course, when they found out that Laura Bailey was playing Nadine Ross, who is a South African uh, character with dark skin. Laura Bailey does not have dark skin, of course, so that brought up all sorts of questions. And uh, I, I'm not going to delve into it here just because I don't think it's the point of the video. Whatever you think of that as far as voice acting is concerned is uh, up to you and your opinion. I haven't put enough thought into it to really form an opinion myself, to be perfectly honest, but I do know that there was some heat garnered when The Lost Legacy came out and when Uncharted 4 was originally revealed to have Laura Bailey in it because the performer for Nadine is not dark-skinned but plays a dark-skinned character even so. Doesn't mean that Laura Bailey is a bad actress. Quite to the contrary, she's phenomenal. I think most people who hear her voice in Uncharted as Nadine will not connect her to Abby in The Last of Us because they sound and act so differently, and that's the job of an actress. So props. But 
the point is they seem to do this thing with actors that they like time and time again, where they have a performer, they want to keep them close to the studio, they want to keep them paid, healthy and happy, so they find roles to help them out. And lastly, of course, they did it with Nolan North, who plays Nathan Drake, in between Uncharted 3 and Uncharted 4, giving him the role of David in The Last of Us as an in-between those games to give him a quick paycheck to keep him healthy, happy, and provided for. And I think this is part of the reason that we end up with like five actors and actresses playing 95% of the roles in this industry. And it's because the individual roles and performances don't tend to pay a whole lot, certainly not enough to like live off of for three years until you get the next project. So you end up with voice actors who are doing tons of projects and work. Um, and even then they seem desperate for money to the point where like Troy Baker will do a partnership with an NFT company for a quick paycheck, even though it will actually lead to the uh, obsolescence of his career and his work at the end of the day. It's stupid. That's beside the point. The point is it doesn't seem to pay very much. So these studios need to keep their actors and actresses that they like working with very happy and close to the studio for future big projects they're working on. So they throw them all these little bones and create roles or call them ahead of time to try and find a way that they can implement them into the game, which is exactly what happened with Nolan North in The Last of Us. Apparently, Neil Druckmann approached Nolan and said, listen, we have this this character. Um, can you give me some voices that you might do for him? Here's what he's like. He described David, sort of this compound leader who's also willing to provide for his people however he can, probably leads to cannibalism. But the player doesn't know that quite yet. And they workshopped voices from there until eventually Nolan provided the the kind of soft and, and unconfident, but soft spoken and sort of weasley voice that we ended up with as David in The Last of Us. And that worked. You got the role. All of a sudden, we're good to go. So it's something they've done a lot is the point. But setting all of that aside, The Lost Legacy is a really interesting title at its core. It's just kind of weird because it started as a DLC where they could explain away and justify the lack of original content and mechanisms as, well, it's just a DLC. It's that game, but an added story to it. And that's fine. I totally understand that. But when you release it as a standalone title and treat it like a standalone title, though a cheaper one, I think people naturally will expect a little bit more. They'll expect something that involves a little bit more effort, something that brings something new to the table. And we just didn't get that with The Lost Legacy. It is through and through a continuation of everything that the first four Uncharted games did. It refuses to do anything really different. And even the final act is comprised of a few staple events from the previous games. The train sequence, the car chase sequence, big puzzles, nothing new. The narrative itself isn't particularly interesting, with Asav basically just being a big bad guy who wants to do evil things for evil reasons. He wants to rule India and is willing to do whatever it takes to accomplish that end. And while I can understand a character wanting to do that, it doesn't make them interesting. Just because you can explain it in the story doesn't mean that that thing you've crafted is interesting. It's something that so many people who I've seen in the comment section seem to completely miss and look over. It's like when I criticized the writing in Death Stranding, how certain elements of it were just bland and boring. 
And that was clear to see. People said, well, there's an explanation in the game's story or in the game's world for why that happened. It doesn't matter. If it's uninteresting, it's uninteresting. I can write a story that's perfectly justified with all these weaving motivations and intentions that's about paint drying. And that's all the story's about. It makes sense in the world. It's justified in the world I've crafted, but it's still boring. It's up to the writer to create situations that are captivating and that draw the viewer in. And if they fail at that, that's on them. It doesn't matter how well it's justified or explained in the world or if the motivations make sense or don't. If it's uninteresting, it's just uninteresting. So like I said at the very beginning, I think The Lost Legacy isn't bad. It's just... Okay. And in a series and a franchise that's known for pushing the boundaries and doing crazy things that nobody saw coming, that's really disappointing. Even if it is just a DLC, even if it is a spin-off that costs less, it's still disappointing. While I think it was a fun experiment, I think it was just that, an experiment. And it failed largely to demonstrate that the series can currently continue on without Nathan Drake and without any significant changes. Naughty Dog needs to take some time, probably five to 10 years off of this franchise to reevaluate and come up with what the next generation of Uncharted games really looks like and plays like. Because everything we've gotten to this point, while it's been fun, has been played out and drawn out. And I think they need to come up with something fresh. And as I said at the top, when they do so, we fans will be here eagerly awaiting and ready to play. But in the meantime, we'll just have to sit and wait for whatever comes next. Thank you for watching. Like the video if you enjoyed it. Leave those comments down below. I really look forward to reading those. And again, join our Discord if you want to enter automatically to win a bunch of free games. It's just my way of saying thank you for being a subscriber and awesome and supporting me doing my, my dream job. It's just my way of saying thank you. So check that out. Link's in the description at my link tree. Share this video with friends if you don't mind. Uh, it actually really helps when you guys do that. Share it on Reddit, you, the other discords you have. I would really appreciate it. But that's it for me. Thank you for watching. I love you all more than you could possibly know, and I'll see you in the next video. Peace out.